Our scripture reading this afternoon is Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We read the first 25 verses of Hebrews 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers since purged, once purged, should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, and what he means by that then are those sacrifices. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, the will of God. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof? The Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and, their, and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of sin these is, there is no more remember. There is, I, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, 
but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So far we read God's holy word. The text for this sermon is verse 23. I'll make a couple of notes about translation. Let us hold fast the profession, and that's the same thing as the word confession. That's the word I'll be using in the sermon, confession, but it means the same thing. Hold fast the profession or confession of our, and now the next word is important. It's not faith, but it's hope. The original is very clear. It's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. That's the text for the sermon this afternoon. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, are you holding fast your confession? There is a certain body of truth that you have been taught, and that is preached from this pulpit and taught in the catechism room, a certain body of truth that you confess. And there is a certain hope that rests upon that, that we will talk about this afternoon, the hope that you have eternal life. This is something you've been taught all of your life. The question I'm asking you is, are you holding fast the confession of your hope? The confession of your hope. I do not ask you, do you believe the truth? I do not ask if you have made confession of faith, whether you still still believe the truth that you have confessed. But are you holding fast that confession, boldly proclaiming it and maintaining it without compromise, absolutely unwaveringly? The fact that the Spirit comes with this admonition to the church today, to you and me, indicates that we need the admonition. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. There is a danger that we will not. The Bible expresses that. Jesus warned about that, that it's possible for those who are confessing Christians to apostatize and to leave the faith entirely. But it's possible that believers can slide away, not be lost, but that they no longer are strong in their confession of their hope. And we know that whole churches can apostatize from the truth. Especially in the last days, he warns us that this will happen. A great falling away from the truth, that they have no interest in the truth of the Word of God And are we not seeing that? In the church world in general, the truth is not the important thing. It's compromised. It is ignored. It is denied. And with that denial of the truth, the hope begins to fade. It's no longer so much that we're looking toward heaven, but it's this earth that becomes very important. And somehow making a kingdom here on this world that we can go on and live in forever and ever. It's not the hope of eternal life, but heaven on earth. 
And the members, when their hope is not heaven, then say, this life is what, what's important to me. The pleasures of this life and the, the material things of this life, that becomes important, the goal of their life. We have seen many who have left the Protestant Reformed churches who once confessed their hope and the truth that is taught here, but no longer. And they're willing to live in churches where errors are taught. There is good reason, therefore, for the admonition to you and me, hold fast the confession of your hope. This exhortation is one of a number that are based on the main thought of Hebrews, which really comes into a climax just prior to the text. The main thought of Hebrews is that Jesus is the exalted mediator who has opened the way into the most holy place of God by his own sacrifice, and he has perfected the people so that they have the right to live with God. The covenant is established with him through him. And so based on that are a number of admonitions. In verse 23, 22 rather, let us draw nigh with the full assurance of faith. Verse 24, that we consider one another to provoke to love and good works, that we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And then the words of the text that we consider, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. God knows that we need these exhortations. They're not rebukes. They're exhortations. They're admonitions. They're positive. This is what we must do. But we need these. Christianity is a religion that calls believers to activity. It's almost a paradox, isn't it? Because Christianity says salvation is all of God. All of God. You do not save yourself. You do not contribute to your salvation. It's all of God. And yet, in that salvation, God works in such a way that he makes his people to be active. They become active as he works in them. He works in them by the power of his sovereign grace. And then having worked in them, he calls them by the preaching of the gospel to that activity, a specific activity. He calls them, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the only reason we can do that is because he works in us the willing and the doing, and we live out of that. And so when we come to this admonition here, that, that's what happens. God works in us by his spirit and by his grace. And now he calls us, and we live out of that. And he strengthens that resolve within our heart to hold fast the confession of our hope. Let's consider the text under that theme then, holding fast our confession of hope. Notice in the first place the confession of hope. Secondly, the command to hold fast. And thirdly, the confidence in the promise. The promise, of course, is that 
he is faithful that promised. Our confidence is in God who promises. First of all, the confession of hope. What is hope? Hope is a spiritual gift, even a power, worked in a believer by the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual power or a gift in the, whole, in the believer worked by the Spirit which looks to the full realization of our salvation. That's what hope does. It looks toward the full realization of our salvation. Hope is closely related to faith, and I want to explain both concepts, faith and hope, so that we can get a hold of what hope is and how it's a little different. Faith, as we know from the Heidelberg Catechism, is first of all a certain knowledge. It's a knowledge of all that is contained in God's Word. And so we go to God's Word and we see God created all things in six days, and faith says, I believe that. That God upholds all things by his providence and directs all things. The Bible teaches us about salvation in Jesus Christ. Teaches us that the spirit is poured out. And we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. All that is set forth in the Bible. And faith says, I believe that. But faith goes another step and it says, I have the confidence that what the Bible has taught me is true for me. Jesus died for me. I have the Spirit. I'm on my way to eternal life. That's what faith is. It's knowledge and confidence of everything that the Bible teaches, that it's true and true for me. Hope. Hope is, again, related to that, but the main difference is that hope is always forward-looking, always forward-looking. There are three things that make up a believer's hope. In the first place, hope is involving something in the future, as I just said. Romans chapter 5 is a classic text for that. Romans 8, rather. Romans 8, verse 24 and 25 says this. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? If you see it, if you have it in your possession, you don't have to hope for it any longer. You already have it. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So hope is always looking ahead to something that we do not yet have but we expect to receive it. Secondly, hope is a longing. It's a longing that a person truly wants. It's, it's a powerful desire. It's what your heart is set on. That's your hope. It's a longing. It's looking ahead to the future for something you do not have, at least in its completeness, and it is a longing for that. Thirdly, hope is certain. In this life, of course, there are many things that we can hope for, but we do not know for sure whether it will happen. That's not the hope of the Christian. His hope is not empty. It's not may or may not be realized. His hope is absolutely sure. What I'm hoping for, I will receive. 
looking to the future, longing for that with absolute confidence that I will receive it. That is the believer's hope. It's clear then that faith and hope are intimately related. Faith looks in the past and believes what God has done, revealed in Scripture. It looks to the present and is confident that God is in control and also looks to the future, but hope looks exclusively to the future. This is what I'm longing for, what I'm looking for. Faith emphasizes conviction. I'm certain of this concerning the truth, but hope, the main idea again, is longing. It's a longing for something, but both of them are certain. Hope rests on faith because faith believes the promises of God and hope says, that's exactly what I'm looking for. What faith is believing, my hope is yearning for that, desiring that. Hope rests on faith. Perhaps that's why the translators Translated it a confession of our faith, even though the word should be hope, there is clearly a connection between faith and hope. Now, on hope, there, you can divide, you can distinguish two different aspects of hope as well. There is the activity of hoping. If a person says, I hope for, that's hope as something working within him. But you recognize, too, that sometimes we speak of the object of our hope. That's the thing I'm hoping for. I don't have it yet, but it's the object of my hope. So subjectively, we're hoping, and we're hoping for the object of our hope. But those two things, you can never really separate. You cannot separate them in this text, for sure. We are confessing our hope. What does that mean, confessing? The word confession, both in the English and the original, have the same meaning. And it means to speak with. To speak with or speak the same thing that someone else is speaking. To speak, as it were, in unison. Tonight, this afternoon, when we made confession of our faith... We were doing that in unison. We were all saying the same things because this is what we believe together. If someone started saying something different, you got to the part that says, I believe that he was born of the virgin, and somebody says, not born of a virgin, you would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not speaking the same thing here. Confession means we're saying the same thing. The same thing as what or whom? The same thing, first of all, as God says. All that we believe, all that we hope for, is found here in the Bible. This is God's word. This is truth. If God did not say it, then I don't have any hope that it will happen. God's word is the content of my hope. I speak in harmony with God. What he says That's what our confession is. But at the same time, it's clearly that we speak together. The church confesses its faith and hope together. 
The church draws from Scripture what we believe, and we confess it together. The text assumes that when it says, let us, let us together hold fast the confession of our hope. This is something we do together, holding our confession. But what is that hope? What is the hope that the child of God has? The content of our hope You could say, in a sense, it's just Jesus because that's what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.1. Christ is our hope. Everything about our hope is founded on Jesus Christ, arises out of his work. He is the content, really. And yet, at the same time, we say it's what he's done for us and what he's earned for us, and it's heaven that is our hope, is it not? That it is in Jesus, of course, means is due to the fact that Jesus came into the flesh, the Son of God. He became one with his people so that he could offer himself a sacrifice for sin. And the the kindergarten through second grade this, this last Friday gave a beautiful program where they talked about the sufferings of Jesus. Well, that's that's what we're talking about here: the sufferings of Jesus. And because when he suffered, he paid for our sins, removed the debt, took away the guilt. This is the perfecting of the people that the book of Hebrews is all about, that Jesus perfected his people so that they could live with God. This Jesus was raised from the dead. Our children sang of that as well, expressing God's approval, God was saying Jesus accomplished salvation by his suffering and death. And our hope goes on from that, that our bodies will be raised, that we will be changed and be made like unto his glorious body and be able to live in heaven. Everything we hope on is founded in Jesus and his glorious work. But there's more to that because Jesus now is in heaven. The children sang of that too, how he's sitting on the throne and he's ruling from there, directing all things to the day that he will come again on the clouds of heaven and take his people unto himself. So life in heaven, that's our hope. From a negative point of view, that means that we will be rid of sin We can't even imagine that sin. No more sin in our thoughts. No more sin in our motives. No more sin in any of our activities. No sin. None of the corruption that cleaves to us in this life. We will be able to serve God perfectly. Each one in the unique way that God has formed us to serve him. All of the effects of sin will be gone The broken bones, the diseases, the physical pain and suffering and death. No one will grow old in heaven. No one will become feeble and frail. No one will die in heaven. That will all be gone. So negatively, our hope in heaven is no more sin, no more effects of sin. But positively, what is heaven about? It's life with God. Life with God Our hope is that we will see God in fellowship with him. We will enter into that most holy place which Jesus has opened through his own sacrifice, his own flesh. 
Now we see through a glass darkly. That glass is a mirror. We look into the mirror and we get to look into heaven a little bit. But it's not a good mirror. It's not like we have and not a perfect sight into heaven. Now we have fellowship with God, but it's limited and it is indirect. God speaks to us, but it's through a man who preaches the gospel to you or through a written word that we can read. God speaks to us and we can speak to him. We can sing his praises. We can pray to him. But our hope is that when we get to heaven, that will be far better. It will be face-to-face communion, looking at the face of Jesus, being able to speak with him and with him, therefore, with God himself, with the Holy Spirit. Now he takes the word and applies it to us, but then it will be perfect fellowship, being able to enjoy life with God. All around us we will behold the glory of God. Now we behold it but it's muted by the curse and our own sinfulness. But in heaven, the glory of God will be such. We will not even need the sun because the glory of God will be the light of the new creation. That's our hope. Life with God, covenant fellowship, fellowship with all the saints who have been chosen in Christ, redeemed in him, brought to heaven, and fellowship with God himself. Is that your hope? Is that your longing? Is that the desire of your heart to be there with God? The text says, hold that fast. Hold the confession about your hope. Hold it fast. You children can understand what that means, to hold fast. If your mom or dad gives you something that's precious, says to you, hold on to it. They might say, hold on tight. Do not drop it. Do not throw it. Do not give it away. Hold on to it. Hold it. Keep it. That's what the text is saying. Hold your confession fast. The two interesting uses of that word in the gospel accounts in Luke. In chapter 4, verse 42 Jesus is out in the wilderness, and when it was day, we read Luke 4, verse 42, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him. They wouldn't let him go. They they couldn't get enough of his preaching. They wouldn't let him go. That's the word that's used in the text. Or again, in Luke chapter 8, in the parable of the, the sower... Now the, sow, the seed is sown here and there, and in some places the devil can take it away, and other places it's choked. But then in verse 15, Luke 8, verse 15, but that, that seed that on the good ground are they which have an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. 
keep it. They hold it. They do not let it go. They hold on to that word, and it produces fruit in their lives. The book of Hebrews admonishes us frequently to hold fast. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. Hebrews 3, verse 6 says, But Christ as the Son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. Or again in verse 14, we are, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Or again the next chapter, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, our confession. Hold it fast. Hold fast the confession of your hope. The only way that that will happen is that you also hold on to the truth that's the foundation. Again, faith rests on, rather, hope rests on faith, and faith takes hold of the Word of God. But if that truth is gone, hope has nothing to rest upon. It falls to the ground. It's not held up. Hold fast. Your confession. From that point of view, the translation isn't really a bad translation. Let us hold fast the the profession of our faith. That's absolutely necessary if we are to hold on to the confession of our hope. Do it, says the text, without wavering. Now this was clearly addressed first to the people to whom this epistle is written. It's entitled Hebrews because that's the people to whom it was written. Jews, believing Jews, Jews who had heard the preaching of the gospel and been converted, and they confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the only Savior, that's what they confessed, but they were beginning to waver because they faced persecution. Sometimes persecution will make people not dare to confess anymore. In Jesus' day, you remember when he healed the blind man that was born blind, and his parents were asked, well, how did this man get healed? And they didn't dare to say that it was Jesus because the rulers of the synagogue said, if anybody confesses Jesus, we'll throw him out of the church. Throw him out. And so they didn't dare confess the name of Jesus. Paul says to us, rather this epistle says to us, hold fast your confession without compromise. We need to be taught that, told that, because the reality is that the truth that we hold is opposed by men. It is opposed by this world and by the false church. And by our own sinful flesh that says, I don't want that for my hope. My hope is here. My hope is in this world. It's not not up there somewhere. That's what my flesh says. So I have to be told, hold fast your confession. 
There are so many things that attack the truth and therefore attack our hope. The, the theory of evolution that this world simply evolved as no creator, that denies our hope. Evolution says things are just going to get on, go on and on and on in this life. Maybe we can make things better, but don't look for salvation from someone coming from heaven. Don't look for a new heaven. This life is all there is. All the teachings that we have to make this world to be the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a denial of our hope, the hope that is heaven. That denies that. The common belief that there is no heaven, there is no hell, this is all that there is in life, denies our hope. So the exhortation is hold it. Hold it without compromise, without wavering. That means, of course, there is a determination to hold on. Let us, we say to each other, let us hold on to the confession of our hope. And because it is something that we, we rely on each other, we hang on to each other, and we encourage each other, that it's so discouraging when people walk away. When they leave, people who were once very strong in the faith, who maintain the truth, and they leave, and they're led astray, no doubt, and now their group breaks up and then they're willing to go to churches where the truth that they have confessed with us is denied. And they're not able to hold fast their profession. After they hear a sermon that preaches that God offers salvation to everyone because God wants to save as many as he can, salvation is available, they cannot go in the back of church and say, wait a minute, my confession is God loves the elect. He hates the reprobate. Jesus died for them alone. Salvation is not offered to everyone God calls to repentance, of course, everyone, but he doesn't offer salvation. The people would say, wait a minute, you're in the wrong church. We don't confess that here. If they hear a sermon that preaches common grace, they cannot go to the, through the congregation and say, wait a minute, grace is only sovereign in particular. There is no common grace. The people would say, wait a minute, that's not our confession here. You may say that here. That's not what we teach. They hear a sermon that preaches that the covenant is with every single baptized child, conditioned on that child. It's a breakable covenant. They cannot go about the congregation and say, wait a minute, the covenant is only conditional. It's only with the elect. And God always keeps his promises. The people would say, we don't confess that here. They've wavered in their confession. But that involves the hope, you see, because their confession rests on the reality that salvation is all of God. Eternally he chose his people. He redeemed his elect people in Jesus Christ. He brings them to heaven infallibly, absolutely. So the exhortation is 
Hold fast your confession. And yet we continue to see people that were not even part of the schism kind of just trickle away. They made a confession of faith, and the confession of faith was, I promise to adhere to the doctrine taught in this church. I promise to adhere to it. You children know what that means. You're glued to it. You're glued to it. You can't separate them. I promise to adhere to this doctrine. But then they leave it. Now, surely you all know, I've been in Northwest Iowa long enough that you know that I don't preach that you're only saved in the Protestant Reformed churches. I have hated that, that error and preached against it all my life. Of course not. God saves his people in many different places in many different ways. And we hate and reject the idea that you're only saved if you're Protestant Reformed. We reject that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about adhering to your confession. We're talking about leaving for reasons that are not correct. Perhaps because they did not like this or that decision of the consistory or a classis or a senate. And so they leave. Or maybe they had a run-in with the elders and they no longer want to submit to these elders. Maybe the doctrine of divorce and remarriage is now starting to pinch because one of their children got divorced and remarriage, or maybe their parents did, and now it's condemning them and, and they're uncomfortable with that. Maybe it's because, as so they say, too much emphasis on Christian school. Maybe the churches are too strict on entertainment or on Sabbath observance. Maybe the children left and now the parents follow them. Maybe we don't have any friends here, so we're going someplace where we can find friends. Those are all reasons that pull at the flesh, perhaps. But what of the conviction concerning the truth, our hope? All those reasons ignore this admonition. Hold fast the confession of your hope. Hold it fast. I'm not preaching to people who left. They're not here this, this afternoon. I'm preaching to you and to me. The question is, are we convicted of the truth? So that we will not leave it. That's the point of the text. We will not leave it if we are convicted of it, if it's in our bones, it's what we believe and confess, not with a mouth only, but with our hearts. Then we will hold fast. Then we will maintain the truth. Holding fast the hope obviously means that you're living in harmony with that hope. 
Again, what are we hoping for, people of God? What's, what's the desire of our hearts? What, what do we get up for in, in the morning? What makes us excited? Is it hunting, or is it basketball, or is it volleyball, or is it good food, or is it a vacation? Is that what we're hoping for? What's your hope? What's your longing? Is it heaven? Is it life with God? Well, then, then we will live as those who have that as the powerful desire of their heart. We will seek the things of the kingdom of heaven. The things of this earth will be almost meaningless, except how can I serve God using them? We will seek the things where above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. That's where our treasures will be. Our joys will be heavenly and spiritual, not earthly, not carnal. But that brings us, so here's the admonition, hold fast. But how, how do you do that? The power to hold fast, you understand, is not your power. It's not my power. It isn't as if today I'm going to say, well, okay, this is it. I will hold fast. Again, we have that paradox in Christianity. If anyone holds fast, it's because God has given the power to hold fast. It's his power. Romans makes that abundantly plain, explicitly plain in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of all hope, so it's clearly it's about hope, the God of all hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, we have faith and hope there again, that ye may abound in hope through the power of of the Holy Spirit. There's the power. That's what preserves you and me. The Spirit works the desire to hold fast. The preaching comes now and it commands you and me to hold fast. And the Spirit uses that to convict us and to strengthen us. And then we hold fast by the power of the Spirit. We must. If we lose our zeal, if we become lazy, lethargic, that is having no energy with regard to spiritual things, then we will begin to let it slip. It's not very important. We can let that truth go. We can let it slide. And then we will not be living out of our hope either. Listen to the exhortation. Hold fast the confession of your hope. But now God understands. He knows us. His spirit lives in us, so he knows us. He understands our weaknesses, our struggles, and so he adds something in this text to encourage us. And that's the last part of the text. 
for, and that's the reason. Why should you hold fast? For he is faithful that promised. Hope looks to the realization of the promise, the promise. He is faithful that promised. A promise is an announcement of what a person intends to do for you or to give you. This is what I will do. This is what I will give you. That's, that's a promise. God promised salvation to his people, salvation from sin and death unto everlasting life. He did that immediately after the fall. In Genesis 3, verse 15, when God said to the serpent, to the devil, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it, that is, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head. Thou shalt bruise his heel, but he will bruise thy head. That was God's promise. And in that brief promise, called the mother promise, because every other promise comes out of that, Already there, there is an indication that it's setting forth the, the essence of the covenant and the glorious life with God. That God would put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. How would God do that? He would do that by taking the seed of the woman and making them to be his friends. And immediately there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Because they are the friends of God. And who are the seed of the woman? Or should say, who is the seed of the woman? This is Jesus. And all those who are chosen in Jesus, they are those that are of God. They will be redeemed by the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And so the book of Hebrews is saying, look, this is who Jesus is. He's the mediator of the covenant. He's your Savior. God promises that his people will be restored to fellowship and to eternal life with him. A promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise, right? We all know that. There are people that promise things and you can say, well, right, he promised, but I don't expect anything. Hebrews 6, verse 18 says, God cannot lie. He cannot lie. Because God does not change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his word. He doesn't change. So therefore, when God speaks a promise, you can believe it. Absolutely. God is faithful, the text says. He is faithful. Someone who makes, someone who keeps his promise is faithful. He can be trusted. You can look back at the record of his life. You can look back at what he has spoken before. Did he keep his word? And the word of God in Genesis 3.15 is, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. I will send the seed of the woman who will bruise your head, crush your head. And God kept his word. He sent Jesus Jesus destroyed the devil's power 
Absolutely. He saved his people. He, he, he kept every promise that God made in the Old Testament. God is faithful who promised. That means you understand that our hope is absolutely secure. Absolutely secure. We have every reason to hold fast the confession of our hope. If our hope depended upon us, even fulfilling one little thing to get that hope, we would have no hope. If the hope depended on the Protestant and Reformed churches, on the ministers and elders and the synods, we would have no hope. Our hope is in God alone. And he is faithful who promised. You can absolutely trust him. The catechism reminds us of that when it says he is able being almighty God and he is willing being a faithful father. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And that means people of God, we're bold in it. We don't hold back. We let people know what are we living for? This is our confession. This is our hope. We're living for heaven. And we hold on to that without compromise, fully committed to the truth of the word of God. And so we can exhort each other. We should. We need to. Let us hold fast together the confession of our hope. Amen. Faithful God and Father, we bow before Thee, knowing that everything that we have is from Thee and everything depends on Thee. We rejoice in Thee and in Thy goodness, in the power of Thy great salvation, and therefore the hope that is before us. Though our own flesh doubts it, though the world scoffs at it, we hold fast by the power of thy spirit within us to that glorious hope that Jesus is coming again to deliver his people from this life and to take us into eternity to live with thee. Lord, hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.